You're listening to RTI Audio, powered by Rocky Top Insider. This is the RTI Press Pass with Rick Butler and Ryan Shumpert. All right, and welcome in to a special edition of the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass. No Rick Butler today. I'm your host, Jack Foster, joined by Ryan Shumpert. And Ryan, you know, yesterday we talked basketball and football on the normal weekly episode of the Press Pass, but today we have got a full comprehensive Tennessee baseball 2023 season preview. Are you excited as I am? I'm very excited, and I definitely wanted to do a separate podcast for the preview. It would be really trying to, to put way too much information in way too short of a time to throw this into normal press pass podcast and, and do it just as a segment in, in football, along with football and basketball. So uh, excited to get into really all of it today, and, and there's a ton to get into. Plenty of familiar faces, but also a, a lot of new faces and a lot of kind of intriguing storylines is Tennessee has in the season number two in the country. Yeah, uh, right. Of the six preseason polls, Tennessee is number two in five of them, so an overwhelmingly, basically, consensusly number two in the country. Picked to finish first by the SEC coaches in yeah. the poll. So um, that's the, the first SEC time East. in the SEC. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, and that's the first time that's ever been done in the Tony Vitello era. Yeah, I'd be curious to know when the last time it was done ever. Um, but it, it's still, you know, I was writing about yesterday and. Obviously, I knew this, but it's just—it was so funny to go back and you know think they won the SECs two years ago and then were picked fourth last year. Right. And obviously, they didn't end up making it to Omaha, which is a huge barometer of success in the season. But was really, really good. Uh, the rest of the season, beside that, won the SEC. I believe they clinched the SEC with like four games remaining, which is again just like a crazy. You know, it'd be one thing to feel really confident you're going to win the SEC with four games, but to literally clinch it, it was pretty crazy. So. Um, should, you know, not a ton of surprise, I didn't think, in the preseason SEC uh, rankings. I guess the one thing that maybe was a little surprising, Tennessee picked to win the East, didn't get a single vote to win the conference. Uh, mm. So that will... It's just overwhelmingly LSU is the best team in college baseball entering the season. Yeah, yeah. that's the overwhelming thought. And, yep. you know, certainly I think there's good reason to think that. They have a ton of talent back, a ton of huge names. I mean, probably Dylan Cruz and Chase Dolander are the two... The best returning pitcher and the best returning hitter uh, in the country. LSU had a great transfer class, and obviously it was a disappointing end. Uh, they lost, I guess, two straight games to Southern Miss in that Hattiesburg Regional mm-hmm. to get eliminated. But the Tigers were really good in the second half of the season in Jay Johnson's first year uh, at the helm, and obviously they added a, a lot of big names in the portal. A couple guys they got over Tennessee, Tommy White, uh, Tommy Tanks from North Carolina State, and then also Paul Skeens, the Air Force uh, relief pitcher and, and catcher. So... It's a really talented team, and we'll get to see those two square off uh, in, the, I believe, that first weekend in April in Baton Rouge. Yeah, as I was about to say, no doubt that'll be <laughs> a series to watch this season, but we're not going to be talking so much about the schedule today, but more about just the roster and who Tennessee is returning, who to look out for, because, Ryan, you know, all the starters in the field are gone. They all have, you know, gone on to the next stage in their career or they ran out of eligibility, and then you look at the pitching – a lot of the bullpen guys are gone, but Tennessee does return their starting rotation. Yeah, and that starting rotation is why this team's number two preseason and the expectations are so high, and for good reason. I mean, you have two starting pitchers who are unanimous, unanimous first-team All-Americans. Yeah. Not just first-team All-Americans, <laughs> yeah. according to somebody. Yep. Not just All-Americans, unanimous All-Americans. Unanimous first-team All-Americans, all five preseason outlets have Chase Dolaner and Chase Burns there, and Tony Vitello has kind of tried to temper, I don't know if he said he's tried to temper expectations. I think he has his own expectations slightly tempered for this team, and he knows there will probably be growing pains with all the new starters in the field. Mm-hmm. When you have that type of talent on the mound, expectations are going to be high. Yeah, no team is the same, right? I mean, this team went 57-9 last year. You know, you can't really expect them to be that dominant, you know, especially with the amount of talent they have lost. But as we've said, a lot of the guys they're returning who are going to start the season were on the team last year, too. And yep. we'll start there with the infield, if that's cool with you. Yeah, 100%. All right. So the starters are basically set um, in the infield. Got a couple of transfers and a couple of returning guys. Blake Burke, first baseman, could have started last year, but, of course, Luke Lipsius was there, the seasoned guy. Um, Blake Burke, 
known for mashing baseballs last year and being able to hit a lot of home runs at an incredible rate. And then at second base, you have Christian Moore returning, got a lot of time in the outfield last year, and at the plate, um, started quite a few games. And then the two transfers, Maui Huna at shortstop, the Kansas transfer, and the third baseman, Zane Denton, from Alabama. Yeah, and it's funny. We talk about all the guys, or all the competition, all the new pieces, and then we the first thing we start in the field, and the first thing we start with is the infield, and it's basically all set. And it's really, yeah, it, it's been, it wasn't set from the fall, before the fall, but even from the time they, they hit the field for the first fall practice, it, you had a pretty good idea that it was going to be this four. And certainly, Blake Burke, I think, is the potential to be the best player on his team, to have the longest career. And what Tony Vitello said it in his first press conference in the preseason, you know, he should have been a starter last year. But right. he was a really good teammate. He was behind a, a six-year guy in Luke Lipsius, and he's back. And, man, you said it best, mashing baseballs. The numbers were fantastic last year, 326, 14 home runs, 32 RBIs, 14 home runs and 95 at-bats. Yeah, it was incredible. I mean, it was unbelievable. And Grant, I mean, a lot. Of, not to say that none of those fourteen home runs were against like midweek teams, but that rate of mashing was the exact same <laughs> against good teams. And and when he got action play in uh, SEC action, and, and really, we talked about all the position guys are are new, but the one spot that isn't new was DH, where right there were a ton of guys rotating in that spot last year, and basically all those guys are back. And the right side of Tennessee's infield probably. When Jared, at least when Jared Dickey was injured, got the most time there. Blake Burke against right-handed pitchers it was usually the guy, and Christian mm-hmm. Moore against left-handed pitchers was usually the guy. And Moore will probably be, or not probably, he, he's going to be the starter at second base. And those are two sophomores that were big-time recruits. Tennessee was happy to get them on campus. They flashed as freshmen, and now it's kind of, in a lot of ways, their team. And they're going to be the guys that feel the pressure and have to deliver for Tennessee offensively. Yeah, it really felt like Christian Moore was a big storyline in the first half of last season and then Blake Burke was a big storyline in the second half right Uh, Blake Burke had kind of taken firm grasp of that DH role especially when Jared Dickey was injured Um, and then when Dickey came back it was both of them a little bit and as you said Moore was still in there occasionally but yeah first and second base you got guys you're familiar with with Blake Burke and Christian Moore you know Blake Burke's potential at the plate and Christian Moore flashed at the plate last year but also had you know some ruts but you know, assuming he takes that year two leap, he could be really dangerous as well. Yeah, you're right. There was some inconsistency, and I think you saw, especially when SEC play started, a little bit of time that it took him to get adjusted and really get his feet wet and gain his confidence and look like the player that you know he was fully capable of. And I think, not that it was like a huge issue all of last season, but I think maturity was a thing for him coming in as a freshman that was an adjustment and maybe held him back a little bit early in the season, but... Uh, even for those, you talked about those ruts kind of in a little bit in SEC play. He was playing better down the stretch. He had a huge hit in the, what was that, the ninth or the eighth inning against Georgia Tech uh, when they, they Oh, yeah. I, I, think guess that was, a, I think it was the eighth inning. I think inning. it was the eighth as well. Yeah. yeah. He had a huge he had and, a huge hit in that one. It wasn't obviously Jordan Beck had the, the hit and right. the, <laughs> the ensuing bird uh, that created plenty of drama. But Moore had a big hit. He was good in the NCAA, or in the NCAA tournament. And, he, again, Burke and Moore and really Jared Dickey are probably the three guys that Tennessee returns that had the most production last year. And it's just a completely different game because mm-hmm. it's one thing when you're in there playing a lot and you're hitting eighth, you're hitting ninth, you got Drew. Everyone's worried about Drew Gilbert and right. Lipscomb. Those are the guys people are going to be pitching around this year, and it's not going to be as easy for. So it's going to be a, a different adjustment. Yeah, you mentioned Christian Moore's inconsistencies and you know maturity. Of course, that'll most of that will probably get ironed out heading into year two. But Blake Burke, if there was one downside, is that he would swing it too much. Yeah. You know, he he would just he would always be trying to hit the home run. You know, he he never. It was always like Blake Burke's either striking out or he's hitting it over the wall. You know, is there was no in between there for a little bit. So just to see more consistent at bats, I guess, with Blake Burke as well is something. You know, maybe he's he could improve on in year two but of course he's uber talented and you know he'll be one of the best players in the sec at the plate moving forward in this infield the two new guys on the left side maui yahuna at shortstop highly touted transfer out of kansas and then zane Denton from alabama start with maui yahuna really talented player all big 12 selection last year what do you see out of what do you think maui yahuna brings to this team well he's probably he's definitely the best top transfer tennessee got and i I can't remember where D1 Baseball and Baseball America had him in, in some of those transfer rankings, but 
He's top two, top three. I mean, Tommy White, the two guys I just mentioned a little bit ago, Paul Skeens that Tennessee missed out on, they're going to LSU, and Mally Una. Those were the top guys in the transfer portal. And Tennessee uh, seemed to be the obvious candidate. It, I can't remember the coach's name, but his coach at Kansas uh, retired after the season, and he entered the portal. And the first thing that stands out, I mean, this is an elite, elite defensive shortstop. The play, Watching him in the fall, the plays he made, how consistent he was with his glove, was really, really impressive. And I don't mean to take anything away from Cortland Lawson, and I especially don't mean to take anything away from William Spence, who was really good defensively. This is Or Ricky Martinez, even before that, who's obviously now on Tennessee's staff and was a good uh, defensive shortstop in 2019. This is the best guy. This is the best defensive, at least defensive shortstop Tennessee's had. Max Ferguson was really good and might give him a run for his money for best defensive infielder Tennessee's had. But he's great there, and the hitting numbers, the batting numbers are really, were really, really impressive in his time at Kansas. To me, that's where I'm more curious to see. Uh, the SEC competition is yeah. not that the Big 12 is a bad conference, but the SEC competition is more challenging, and I think he had a few flash in times in the fall at the plate, but he wasn't just, he didn't look like a 396 batter either when I watched him uh, gotcha. probably seven, eight times in the fall. So I think a lot of that is just, you know, going to be adjusting. and To the probably, SEC play, yeah, too, yeah. And and so get, much better, yeah. And he'll get better as the season goes along. But I think, to me, you know the glove's going to be there. You know the athleticism defensively is going to be there. What And you know he's going to be a good bat. I don't mean to act like he's going to hit 240 or anything, but how good of a bat, I think, is a big question. And that would go a long way to helping out those guys that we mentioned on the right side of the infield. Well, Cortland Lawson was surprisingly a good bat last year. You know, he, was, he still made – Tennessee was so good last year. He still was probably one of the weaker hitters in the lineup, but he was a very good hitter. Where do you think Maui Huna stacks up to Cortland Lawson's production last year? I think from a contacting standpoint, he's going to be better than him. Uh, the power, I, I think that's what's that's what surprised me the most about Cortland Lawson. Yeah. His power was was really, really good. What he ended up, I think he hit double-digit homers, yeah, right? He ended up getting 12 home runs, 45 RBIs, and some big home runs. I mean, I go back to the Game 3 at Kentucky where Tennessee he was trying not to get swept, and he hit a big home run that gave him a little bit of breathing room late in that game and had opposite field power uh, that really stood out. So I'm not sure Maui has quite that much power, uh, but I think you'll see him hit uh, above it. Lawson's 269 batting average, I think. Uh, you'll see his on-base percentage be over 402, uh, which is what Corbett Lawson's was. And I say that about the power, and this is going to be a big a big talking point for the next guy, Zane Denton. Malibu is a left-handed hitter, and boy, does Lindsey Nelson Stadium play well to left-handed hitters. That's right. Uh, so that maybe that'll he'll end up making me look foolish there, but uh, a really good contact hitter and a guy I think will hit a lot of doubles and will be one of the better base dealers on this Tennessee team. Well, Malyahun is a guy who does have some preseason honors so far. Um, second, ter- second team roster, third team roster, three different times preseason All America, of course, and um, he's preseason All SEC second team as well at shortstop. So he's a guy that a lot of people have their eyes on in the mock drafts. He's, you know, he's he's high up there. Not, of course, as high as Chase Dolan or anything, but he's definitely up there. And you mentioned the impact transfers list from D one. He was fourth on that yeah. list. So the highest transfer Tennessee is bringing in. And then you move forward to Zane Denton. There's three big transfers, but one is in the outfield. So the second in the infield is Zane Denton from Alabama. Ryan, Zane Denton has big shoes to fill from last year because Tennessee's third baseman last year and Trey Lipscomb was an absolute unit, was on a tear all season long. But Zane Denton's a guy who had a very good career um, in the Crimson Tide. So where do you see, how do you see Zane Denton filling in at the third base role for Tennessee? I mean, you mentioned he's got big shoes to fill with Trey Lipscomb, which is obviously accurate. He's got huge shoes to fill with the lineage of third base. Yeah. Tony Vitello, you go from Andre Lipsius to Jake Rucker to Trey Lipscomb, and all, I mean, all three of those guys were, were really just phenomenal. And the thing with Denton, I think, that stands out is really from a consistency standpoint, Last year at Alabama was his worst season. Mm-hmm. He struggled with his batting average in SEC play. He didn't have a ton of consistency. Um, but a switch hitter, and you mentioned it, and maybe this is me just being so biased from remembering the Alabama series last year. A guy that with a left-handed power at Lindsey Nelson Stadium is a dangerous combination. I mean, he hit, I believe, three home runs in that three of his 13 home runs last year in the series at Lindsey Nelson Stadium. Yeah. Obviously, probably best known uh, to Vol fans, or maybe they forget about it. He's the one who hit the line drive that came back and struck Chase Dolan. Oh, really? I didn't I didn't know that. In the elbow, and obviously at the time, man, looks like it might be a season-ending injury. Tennessee was very fortunate that it wasn't. Um, but a solid glove, uh, a switch hitter. He's back in 
his home state. He's from Berlin, Tennessee. Uh, went to Ravenwood High School. I watched him a lot in high school. But uh, I think probably when you look at these th- four infielders, the guy I'd have the least amount of expectations for. But he also has a really, to me, a really high ceiling, and uh, especially with the power aspect, and can maybe be a little bit of an X factor in, in Tennessee's lineup. Yeah, for sure, and um, you know, good arm too. So definitely, when he, it felt like when he came, when he chose to come to Tennessee, you know, Maui who knows well, but it's like that guy's going to play third base. There's no competition. Yeah, I mean, it's. I'm sure that there wasn't a you know they weren't promising him the starting third base spot. But yeah. For him to have chosen Tennessee to enter the portal with a guy that has major league baseball aspirations and he has two years of eligibility, I think. His thought process is: I'm going to come here. I'm going to play. I'm going to transfer somewhere, and I'm going to play one year. I'm going to improve my stock. You're not going to go somewhere if you don't feel really confident you're going to be a starter. So uh, you're absolutely right. It was another good get for Tennessee in the portal. And again, it's I think maybe the thing that stands out the most about it: such a lack of experience uh, in Tennessee with replacing all these guys in the field. He's a guy that's played been a starter for two years in the SEC. Nothing's going to surprise him. Right. It's a new school. It's a new spot for him. There's going to be adjustments. There's going to be changes to come with that. But he's not going to – you wouldn't expect him to get an SEC play and a guy that's going to slump trying to adjust to the pitching or anything like that. He, he knows what this conference is about, and it's really – it's a prove-it year. You know, we talk about contract years all the time, uh, professional sports. That's basically what this is for Denton in college. Feels like Tennessee has a lot of good balance in the infield. You know, you got the two guys who know who know Tennessee baseball and returning for their second seasons and Blake Burke and Christian Moore. Got a freak of nature at shortstop, elite defender in Maui Ahuna, and then a guy, as you said, who's very experienced with SEC play, first year on Rocket Top and Zane Denton. So a good a good uh, quartet there in the infield for Tennessee. But let's look at the catcher battle. Not no battles in the infield, but the catcher and you know, probably the most interesting part of Tony Vitello's preseason presser was that Jared Dickey you know isn't going to be necessarily playing catcher a lot and that Charlie Taylor is maybe going to be playing catcher more than people thought yeah you're right and I think Dickey who had that hand injury probably two-thirds of the way in the fall fall practice maybe a month into the six-week fall practice I think that set him back a lot and he wasn't quite in the Evan Russell situation where you know Evan Russell had one offseason to get ready to be the catcher and you kind of knew he was the guy but Dickey had started that development really with Evan Russell. There was no expectation of him playing that year, but it wasn't full steam, only catcher. And then you even saw them try to bring in Jack Alexander to Austin P. Transfer, yeah. who ended up signing an undrafted free agent bill, I believe, with the Kansas City Royals. And I have to think that kind of threw a wrench in Tony's yeah, plans. No, it did. Because I mean, that was unexpected. It was unexpected, and Tennessee was really caught off guard by that. And you obviously Paul Skeens, the Air Force guy, that was the guy they wanted. And really, it was Tennessee's pitching depth hurt him there because Schemes is a pitcher too, and he wanted to have an opportunity to compete for a weekend road starting rotation. And there's no, I mean, you could say you can compete for it, but again, it's kind of like the Zane Denton situation. You look at it, who was he going to unseat? So that really hurt Tennessee there. I thought Jack Alexander was a really good backup plan down at body, um, but that obviously didn't work out. So you're right, uh, Jared Dickey is steering towards the outfield, and, and Charlie Taylor is going to get, you know, I think a lot of weekend starts. But the guy who I would predict right now will get the most weekend starts is, is Cal Stark in okay. the college transfer. Yeah, and this is a guy that a lot of people have spoke highly about, including Tony Vitello. Just kind of tell us a little bit more about Cal Stark. Did you watch him in the fall? What, what do you think he brings to the table? He, he's kind of the, the middle ground balance in Tennessee's catcher room where you have, even without Jared Dickey, you have Ryan Miller, sophomore, who's a really good bat, not a very good defensive catcher. You have Charlie Taylor, who... We know from watching him last year, not a very good bat, but a good defensive. Probably the best defensive catcher? Yeah, I, I would yeah. say the best defensive catcher. Uh, and Cal Stark is in the middle there. He's a very good bat, right-handed bat. Um, he's from from Knoxville, went to Farragut, and then went to junior college out in Texas before transferring, uh, obviously, back to Tennessee. And he's the middle ground. He's a good, he's a very solid defense defensive player. I think he's better than Evan Russell was defensively. He's just a natural catcher, and that's not I don't mean that as a knock on Evan Russell. He was trying to do something that wasn't not that he'd never done before because he'd done it in high school, but it wasn't completely natural right. to him. And this is a he's a catcher. He's not a guy they're making into a catcher. He's a catcher, and then I think his bat really surprised some people when he got to Tennessee in the fall. He was really impressive, and I believe Tony even said it in his introduction or his first press conference of preseason that this is a guy that even if he's not starting, 
could potentially even get some DH looks or some pitch hit at bat. So it's a, oh, wow. it's a solid bat for sure. So, yeah, if he, if he like you said, if he's probably a good enough defender in Tony's eyes, then he's going to be getting time because unless Chuck Taylor has made some astronomical improvements at the plate, he, he he's going to be a liability in most SEC games, right? That's going to be a major hole in that lineup. Yes. Though I will say this, I do think that statement's fair. He was better in the fall hitting. Okay. I mean, there you go. I mean, granted, this is why you're here. Granted, Tell us, yeah. granted, that bar is really, really low. Yeah, it's like Tony Vitello said it best when he had to start. Maybe the biggest assault, unnecessary statement about a player ever in his press conference after the first game of the, the Knoxville Regional when he had to start looking at the stat sheet. Brian Erlacher talking about, <laughs> about his 054 batting average. He was better in the fall. He did not look like a guy that I think is going to hit 054. Did he look okay. like a guy that's going to hit 275? No. But he looked competent at the plate. But you are still right. That's going to be a guy that to me is, well, last year you didn't have it. But for most of t- and Tony Vitello's, really the last two years, Pavloni had a firm grasp. But you go back to Tony Vitello's first couple of years, it was, you're going to have a catcher. He's going to start two games on Friday and Sunday. And you're going to have someone in the middle starts on Saturday. I think that's where this is going to be. Okay. How Stark is going to be your number one guy. He's going to be starting on first and third game of a weekend series. And then Charlie Taylor is going to have a chance and is going to be firmly entrenched in getting innings and getting playing time that's not just midweek games this season, probably getting some stuff in the middle of weekends. And I think that's how it starts. What will it end up being? You know, we'll see where it develops. But I think that's where things are going to stay in the start of the year. Yeah, so much of baseball is obviously mental, right? Yeah. And, I, f- I mean, so do you think that a certain leaf was turned there in the regional when Charlie Taylor actually made a big hit and had a big moment? I think it was. I think that was probably good for his confidence. I think the fact that even though they went out, their catchers in the transfer portal, the fact that he that wasn't a guy that ran off to the portal. It was a guy they very made a priority. We want you back. We, we think you can be a, a big part of things. And the fact that even though Jared Dickey's had some, there were some setbacks that went into him moving more fully to outfield, that was still something they felt comfortable doing. I think they've put a lot of confidence in him. Like I said, he was much better hitting in the fall. He had some, not only just success in inter-squad scrimmages, he had some success in scrimmages against Wake Forest and Memphis as well. So uh, I think you're right. Confidence is a huge part of things. And I think he's a guy now that has his feet wet a, a little bit and certainly has the confidence of the coaching staff. I, I think that could go a long way. All right, Ryan, moving on to the outfield. Um, lots lot more competition out here and you know you got some veteran guys coming back like Kyle Booker and Christian Scott and but first I want to talk about the third biggest transfer for Tennessee and that is Griffin Merritt from Cincinnati this is a guy that is definitely strong at the plate and can play some good outfield too so what'd you see from Griffin Merritt in fall ball I mean I feel like it's a given he's going to start yeah he was no you're right it's a given he's going to start the question is will it be left field or right field my guess is it'll probably be left field uh he was he kind of got off to a slow start first couple weeks, but then once he got his footing, I mean, he was really, really good. And he it was clear, you're right, that he's going to be a starter, not just from what he did at Cincinnati, which was impressive, AAC player of the year last season, but it was clear in fall ball, this is one of your best three transfers. This is one of your best bats, period, I think. And mm-hmm. I think you're going to see him as a guy that's in the middle of the lineup, um, maybe in the five or six, six hole, and uh, he's going to be a starter. He's going to play a ton, and... Uh, again, kind of like Zane Denton, it's a prove-it year. And even from a different standpoint, because he, the AAC is not a good baseball league. Not that it's horrible. It's not the SOCON or, or the Sun Belt or anything like that. It's a it's a middle league, but it's, it's not a great league. And he's coming to the SEC to prove that he can compete at the highest level and improve his draft stock. And I think that's something he's going to do. I think he's going to be one of Tennessee's better bats. Yeah, I mean, uh, I did an interview with Kirby Cannell um on the radio last week, and I was asking him, I'm like, you know, newcomers on the mound, newcomers at the plate, who stands out to you? And um, he was like, Griffin Merritt may lead this team in home runs. Yeah. Like, got, he has that kind of potential. He has great power. On a, on a team that has Blake Burke yeah. and Christian Moore and other great bats, this guy could be our best hit. Yeah, and I would be hard-pressed to predict anyone besides Blake Burke to, to lead. <laughs> yeah, team. I would too, right. But he's absolutely going to be up there in that, that top two or three guys. All right, so you think Griffin Merritt's going to move to left, and now let's go to the other two positions. I want to talk about those returning guys for a second, Kyle Booker and Christian Scott, um, guys who didn't start on a consistent base last year. We know the kind of upside Christian Scott has from a defensive standpoint and the plays he can make. 
i.e. the Florida game, right? So, And then Kyle Booker, it's a guy who I think a lot were high on entering last season, but it just never quite worked out the way you thought it was going to. No, I mean, he was my pick last year to be the breakout you know, breakout player, and I'll go ahead and we're going to get into it in a minute. He's going to be my prediction again this year. I'm just running there you back. Go. Uh, he's had a, a really good fall, and it kind of feels like it's his time. And I think Tony Vitelli even said as much in fall that, this is his time. He has waited his turn. He had was obviously flashed that potential as a freshman, had frustrations as a sophomore. There were some injuries in there, too. Nothing too serious, but minor stuff that held him back. Uh, I think he is the best defensive center fielder uh, on this roster, and I think he's going to see a really big role. But, you know, I say this, all this stuff, Griffin Merritt's the only person I would fully lock into a starting spot. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a ton of competition and that's going to continue really through the whole pre-conference slate because there's a lot of guys in the outfield uh, that, that have a chance to play. Yeah, and um, two freshmen who could dominate for Tennessee as well are Dylan Dryling and Reese Chapman. There was a trio of freshmen that everyone was talking about in the fall, Alex Stanwich included, but he is taking the semester off of baseball. He will rejoin the team in the fall. But let's talk about Dylan Dryling and Reese Chapman. These guys have a lot of potential. And Tony Vitello was saying, you know, the future is bright for these guys, but they should be thinking, the future's now. You're right. Uh, and, and Reese Chapman's a guy who's really hit the ground running from coming back from Christmas break and into this preseason practice. And uh, to me, he's he was – maybe Stanwich was the highest-ranked guy uh, in the in the of the three outfielders, but Chapman was the guy that I was most intrigued by. Uh, you saw what he did two years ago at the – prep all-star game out in Colorado. He's a Colorado kid, and he was a one MVP for that game, and he's just, a to me, a really complete bat and very mature, uh, a very mature bat for a freshman. And you see a lot of these guys, and, and Stanwich was especially one that stood out that way. Uh, and you talked about it with Christian Moore and Blake Burke, guys that didn't have great discipline. To me, he has really impressive discipline for such a young, young player, and I think he can really play. Again, he's probably would be one of the corner outfield spots, but he can play all three spots. And, and to me, that's probably what stands out the most about Dryling is his athleticism, his ability that he could play a, a really good defender, could play all three outfield spots. And really all those guys had some inconsistencies in the fall. Dryling, to me, well, Dryling and Sandwich probably had a little bit more than Chapman. But mm-hmm. again, he is very, very talented, and he is going to have opportunities without a shadow of a doubt. So while he wouldn't be one of my picks to be a starter or, you know, to start the season. Uh, this is Chapman? No, this is Dryling. Dryling, okay. While Dryling wouldn't be one of my picks to be a starter or maybe even the fourth guy, he's going to get opportunities, and he's plenty talented enough to play himself into that. We kind of talked about Griffin playing left, Booker playing center. feels like those are your predictions. Um, if you move to right and you're high on Chapman, I know we got guys we haven't talked about yet, but does Reese Chapman have a pretty big arm? Did he, did he flash that? Yeah, no, he does have a, he does have a good arm. I don't think it's a massive arm, um, but it is good. And, and to me, uh, even just going back to center, while Booker's my pick, Jared Dickey's gotten a lot of run in yeah. center field in preseason, and that was something that surprised me. And It's kind of one of those things, and they've talked really high about him in center field. I'm going to have to kind of – see it to believe it a little bit his foot speed isn't his strength his he's a utility man he hasn't played a ton of outfield I just feel like he's probably gonna be more comfortable in the corner outfield spots but they've been pleased with what they've seen from him in center field so as much as I think Booker's probably ends up being the guy there I would also say don't be surprised if you see Dickey end up getting a couple starts early in the season yeah and Dickey's just such a valuable bat you know I feel like if Dickey is the odd man out on the starters in the outfield at any point, he will be DH. Oh, 100%. Yes. Like, he, he is going to be a consistent starter for Tennessee no matter what. Yes. I, to me, he's the most complete bat on the team. I mean, his his maturity, his contact hitting, I mean, he has the power too. But, I mean, what, three weeks into the season last year, he was still hitting like 670? Like, yeah. it's unbelievable. He, the, dude, the dude just gets on base. So, you're right. Whether... He's starting in the outfield, whether maybe he ends up getting some run at catcher or DH, which probably seems the most likely, he's going to be an everyday starter for Tennessee. Well, we talked about the young guys. A couple more guys to talk about here in the outfield. You got um, Juco guy Colby Backus from just down the road in Walters State. Um, I mentioned Alex Stanwich, of course, has taken the thing, uh, the semester off. But then you look forward to that. Kavaris Tears, this is a guy who – I thought had some impressive at bats in fall ball. Just what I'm, you know, perusing Twitter, seeing videos, and a guy who, you know, didn't get hardly any play at all last year. But Kavaris Tears, someone who could potentially make an impact. 
Yeah, he's because you're right. I love his bat. I've loved his bat since I saw him two falls ago, and he was a freshman, and it was kind of pretty clear he was going to redshirt. Where does he fit in? It's just right. A question. Exactly. It, maybe some DH to bats. He can play first base. I think he'll have a chance to get some midweek opportunities at first base, especially as you get later into the season. Um, yeah, we saw Burke play first a yeah, lot in midweek. Exactly. So. so in the outfield, it just feels like there's so many guys there that it's going to be hard for him to break through and earn consistent playing time. But that bat is really good, whether it's pinch hit opportunities, maybe some DH stuff. You're going to see him have opportunities. It's probably more likely going to be in midweeks. Um, but he's a guy that I'm high on and I think has a really, really impressive bet. Yeah, and then moving on to Colby Backus, I mean, he had great numbers at Walter State. And, you know, this is a guy that people were talking about when he when he chose to come here. Um, he's a East Tennessee native. I'm curious to see if you had any experiences with Colby Backus watching him play in the fall. Yeah, no, I watched him play a good bit. To me, he seems like he's behind most of those guys we've talked about. Not that... Not to you know take a ton away from him and say he's not a good player or anything like that, but I, I just he just didn't seem to be at the same level as a lot of those other guys. Gotcha. Okay. And, and the one guy, I mean, you mentioned him, but I don't think I ever said anything about Christian Scott. Mm-hmm. It, to me, his I ceiling, feel like you know what he is. Yes, you know what yeah. he is. His ceiling's not as high as those other guys, but again, I think you'll probably see him start again. I would I would bet right now he'll start again the first weekend uh, of the season. Now I don't see foresee him being a starter throughout the whole year, but again, kind of like his role has been for a lot of years. Great defense to substitute. If you have some injuries, if you have guys banged up, he's going to have an opportunity to get some starts. And again, a good pinch runner, a good defender, a, a great player to have on your team, but a great player really to have on the bench because he can do a lot of different things. But I just, the ceiling's just not as high as a lot of those. So you don't, you don't see his role changing much from what it was last year? I don't, know. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Well, a lot of lot of options in the outfield. An embarrassment of talent out there for sure, and Tennessee is not lacking there. So we'll move on to the pitching. Um, you know, guys who have left. Of course, Blade Tidwell was kind of that fourth starter. Um, started more later on in the season when he fully came back from that injury. He went to the pros. Will Mabry as well out of the bullpen and Zach uh, Ben Joyce. Thinking Zach Joyce now, but Ben Joyce is gone as well. And then, of course, Redmond Walsh uh, ran out of eligibility. But probably the biggest news of the offseason for Tennessee's pitching is that Camden Sewell is running it back. He is, yeah. And what was essentially extremely difficult to get him back because of some of the scholarship stuff and that he's been there five years now and it was he's working a full-time job essentially yeah he's graduated he's already he's done with school he's he's a full blown blown adult now yeah um so to me a very overlooked guy he earned a couple all-american honors you know preseason i believe he was second team all sec is that right am i um yesterday am i misremembering that yeah he's second team all sec third team and uh he's got a second team honor as well from different outlets so to me i don't see how he's not like you know consistently an All-American. Maybe not first team, but in so much of bullpen, I think people go to the shiny toys, the Ben Joyce's, the guys who can throw 99 and just have unbelievable stuff. But Camden Sewell is the definition of production, and he has done whatever Tennessee's asked out of him for four years. He's been really, really good for four years. His worst ERA in, in his four years in Knoxville is 3.0, and that was in the COVID-shortened season. And if it wasn't a COVID-shortened season, it probably would have been down 2.5, where it was basically uh, the rest of his year. So, to me, it'll be curious to see how what his role exactly looks like in the bullpen because he was the middle reliever last year. And if anybody had a bad start, which didn't happen much, but did happen some more towards the back half of the season as Drew Beam started to fall off, mm-hmm. he's a guy that could go three or four innings. I mean, you saw him do it at, in Game 3 at Florida where he, I believe, threw four or five innings out of the bullpen and was just phenomenal. And he's done spot starts in the SEC tournament. Yeah, he started the SEC tournament final. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and he started SEC tournament games against Florida, I guess, in the semifinal two years ago and then in championship last year and has been was really good in both those starts. He can do a little bit of everything, and he is an extremely, extremely valuable arm. And when you talk about all the guys that lost in the bullpen, what a great sense of security it is to have him back. Right. And, you know, Camden Sewell's role is probably not going to change much from what it was last year, but is definitely a guy Tennessee's going to rely on. Guy who maybe could take the Redmond role, I, f- I feel like is probably the top candidate to do that, to be that closer for Tennessee, is Kirby Cannell. Um, you know, guy who has a lot of experience as well going into his senior season, fourth year on Rocky Top. W- how do you think Kirby Cannell fits in with his pitching staff? I assume he's going to get consistent playing time. 
Yeah, he's going to get consistent innings, and I think more innings because Redmond Walsh is gone. And they're kind of, not that they're the same pitcher, but they're kind of the same mold. They're left-handed arms. They're veterans. Mm-hmm. They don't throw the ball. They don't throw particularly fast. So when you have a bullpen that has so many guys who can throw mid to upper 90s, which Tennessee has again, it's it's really valuable to have a left-handed arm that you can kind of throw in there and for, I don't mean this term to be disrespectful, kind of throw some junk and have <laughs> yeah. the off-speed, just kind of a different... It's like a point guard who can play really fast. Kennedy Chandler. It's all about controlling your speeds and being able to play slow to best take advantage of your speed. You can't play that same way all the time. That's what it, what Kirby Cannell is in a bullpen, in a pitching staff that has a lot of really talented big arms. So he was good last year. He's going to just have, to me, an even bigger role this year and uh, a good left-handed arm, especially considering the guys that Tennessee lost. Yeah, well, good news for Tennessee is that Seth Halverson is, officially, is now 100%, and he is going to be able to bring it for Tennessee this season. Of course, a very highly touted transfer from Missouri. Didn't play last year, had the injury with the elbow, but Seth Halverson, a guy that figures to get some consistent innings as well. Yeah, to me, he may be the most guy I'm most excited to see because... It's an unknown, right? Yeah, It is an unknown, and... He was so raw at Missouri. I mean, he was a Friday night starter, and his numbers weren't very good because he couldn't throw strikes, essentially. But his stuff was fantastic. And we know anything. If you're pitching at Tennessee, if you're pitching for Frank Anderson, you're gonna, you're not going to pitch or you can't throw strikes. Yeah. And especially now that Tennessee has so many options. And, and I think that is what makes it so intriguing. Uh, what does he look like? And he's had – obviously, he wasn't available for a lot of last year, so he didn't fully have all that time to work. But he – has had now two full off seasons uh, under Frank Anderson at Tennessee. The upside, the ceiling is really, really high there, and I think that is what makes me so curious to see him. And I would be really surprised if he, he doesn't have a big role in the bullpen. Well, speaking of roles in the bullpen, last year, you know, you look at those deeper bullpen guys, the guys that weren't consistently getting SEC innings, but were always, you know, putting in the work on the midweeks. It, it always felt like at the top of that group was Wyatt Evans. You know, the lefty, and he, a lot of those deeper bullpen guys like I'm talking about, they transferred. But Wyatt Evans is coming back. He, along with Xander Sechrist, who was the main midweek starter last season, both lefties, both guys who can provide valuable innings in SEC play as well for Tennessee. Certainly. Uh, really, I'll even throw another guy in there, and it's Jake Fitzgibbons, who didn't have a huge role last year. Yeah, he was part of that deep bullpen, right? Yeah, yeah that came back, and he had, all three of those guys had, had good falls. Really, specifically, Fitzgibbons and, and Evans really stood out to me. If you read... Really, any I, mean, I think I wrote two or three pieces, kind of just notebook type things from the fall. Wyatt Evans is a guy I'm really, really high on. I think he's going to be one of the best bullpen guys, one of the most used bullpen guys, and it's hard, you know, it's hard to see maybe all three of those guys having really big roles. But none of those guys have done anything to this point that would make me think, oh, they can't help Tennessee. You know, mm-hmm. you can't count on this guy. They all look good in the fall. Uh, I've all I've heard good things about all three of them. Uh, from what they've done are so far early in the spring. And those are three players that they're all left-handed pitchers. They're all returning. They're all in that cast that you named. Who separates himself when play starts uh, is going to be a huge question. And uh, to me, Evans is the one guy that I would put a, a lot, a lot of confidence in in that group. Wide Evans is my favorite Tennessee baseball volunteer. You know why? Why is that? Comes out to Metallica. There you go. For him, the bell tolls, baby. Dude, elite walk-up song. Elite walk-up song. Um, but yeah, those three guys are definitely ones to keep track of. And then newcomers, you look at AJ Russell, um, Andrew Benke, a lot of these guys that have been getting Andrew Lindsay from Charlotte as well. These guys have been getting a lot of buzz from Chase Solander, from Tony Vitello. Who do you think stands out as far as these newcomers go, whether it's a transfer such as Andrew Lindsay or a freshman as AJ Russell? You're right. It's it's there's a lot of options and Tony Vitello talked about that in his first press conference. I mean, it's probably from a ta- pure talent standpoint, the deepest bullpen Tennessee's had. Uh, Bryce Jenkins, the junior college transfer, he's an, an, kind of like uh, Cal Stark, Knoxville guy. He went to community college down in Cleveland, Tennessee, at Cleveland State. He was really, really impressive. Right-handed arm, and, and there's so many good left-handed arms in this bullpen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would, yeah, even Jacob Bimby, I didn't yes, mention him. That was the next guy I was going to say, Jacob Bimby. Probably Bimby, uh, Bimby and Jenkins were the two guys, that, the two new guys that impressed me the most in the spring, uh, or excuse me, in the fall. So I think both those guys are going to have uh, really big roles. AJ Russell is a guy that I think will see innings uh, in midweeks, and, but to me probably the most impressive freshman I saw was JJ Garcia from okay. uh, North Carolina, another right-handed arm, probably uh, of the newcomers. And Lindsey was 
I don't have a great perspective on Lindsey because he was shut down and he didn't throw a ton in the fall. But uh, of the newcomers that I, I got to watch a lot of in the fall, to me it was Garcia, it was Bimby, and it was Jenkins. And I think all three of those guys will have a chance to not only just earn midweek innings, which all of them will get a lot of midweek innings, but I think we'll have opportunities to prove it in, in big weekend SEC series. So you mentioned Jenkins, Bimby, and Garcia, like you said, of Wyatt Evans. Of that that area of the bullpen, you're the highest on him. Of this area, who are you highest on? Probably Jenkins, because and some of that is just to me. Jenkins, Jenkins, and Bimby were both really impressive, and Garcia was more. There wasn't as much consistency from him in the fall, but you just saw like for a freshman, yeah, there's a lot of talent here, um, and I would probably just go Jenkins because. Of you mentioned that other group of the returners, all three of those guys are left-handers. Mm-hmm. And we were just talking about those guys are going to have opportunities. Jenkins is the right-hander. Gotcha. Uh, where Bimby is a left-hander, and I think that maybe makes Bimby's path to playing time more difficult. Um, but Jenkins was he was really impressive. He's not a super high velo guy. He's kind of again, he doesn't throw. You know, he's low to mid nineties is what he, his fastball is at. So it's not quite as low as Kirby Cannell or Redmond Walsh's. But he kind of has again that different gear, uh, a little bit more of a, a change of pace where you look at the other top-end guys. We know Zach Joyce is going to have uh, a really high-velocity fastball. We know Andrew Lindsay is that way, too. For the right-handers, Jenkins, to me, is a guy that can pound the strike zone and get a lot of outs that way. Yeah, and I'll end it with Zach Joyce. Um, you, you know, he's a guy who has a very interesting story. And coming in, of course, his brother Ben played here last year, the volunteer fireman. What do you think Zach Joyce brings to the table for Tennessee? I, I'm not going to comp- try to compare him to Ben. Yeah, that's not a fair expectation to put on him, which is, I mean, they're twins. I don't, I don't, want, twin pe- brothers I don't want people doing that. You know, it's yes. like, it's like this is not Ben Joyce. Yes. There's only one Ben Joyce. Yes, and he hasn't pitched competitively in two, three years, which makes him, to me, such a wild card. I don't, I don't know what to expect from him. And, he, again, kind of like Lindsey, I didn't get to see a ton of him in the fall. Um, he wasn't completely shut down, but he – Again, he hasn't pitched competitively in so long, so they're, kind of, they're working him in. And to me, he's maybe one of the X factors in the bullpen because he, does, he doesn't quite have the fastball that his brother has, but he does have an upper 90s fastball. He has good stuff, and I don't, I just don't, I don't know what to expect. I guess, mm-hmm. you know, you say what to expect, I don't know. He's got talent, um, but it's such a different situation for him. He is, I talked about hasn't had experience in a few years. His experience before was at Walter State, so a whole different level. It's going to be curious to see what he does, but he at least should be someone that's fun to follow and watch. All right, Ryan, we've talked enough about this whole roster. I feel like we've gone over everyone, but like maybe half a dozen players <laughs> we have gone in. But let's do some superlatives. Let's have a little fun. Let's start. Let's keep it with the pitching superlatives. So you've you've mentioned a lot of guys you're excited to see. Who are you most excited to see putting them all together in one pool? Yeah, it's a great co- I mean, I'm most excited to watch Chase Dillinger because he's so good. But that's not my answer. Because who would who would that not be the guy they're most excited to see? I think uh, I'm probably most excited to see ben, or excuse me, to see I'm sorry, I can Zach Choice. There you go. I did it earlier. Yeah. I, I almost said uh almost said Zach instead of Ben, so yes. we, Yeah, we got I, you. I'm probably most excited for all the reasons I just said, because it feels like the gap between his ceiling, what he could be, and his floor, and that's not even a knock on him because it's not like he's a bad pitcher. It's just all those question marks is so mm-hmm. massive. And uh, when you have the velocity that he has on that fastball, it could be – it's – I would not be excited to watch it. And I think that he's – to me, he's the X factor in the bullpen. The X factor. In the bullpen, to me, he's an X factor because if he can – It's a big label. Come in there and have consistency – that's just an arm that not many teams have in their bullpen and I think would, would go a long way to kind of adding a whole another element of a bullpen I think we know is good, I think we know is deep. But outside of Camden Sewell, I think we have a lot of questions about how good the top end of the bullpen is. And right. he's a guy that if he pitches to his potential, is going to be one of the best guys in the bullpen and certainly makes that top end a lot higher. Well, I'm going to go kind of the same narrative here, but Seth Halverson, he's an unknown, and he's a guy that I think – you know, Camden Tool is Camden Tool, but if there's going to be a Blade Tidwell, you know, maybe Zach Joyce is, yeah. 
is the Ben Joys. Maybe uh, Cam Newton is still Cam Newton, but if there's going to be a guy who fills Blade Tidwell's shoes, I feel like Seth Halverson is the most likely candidate. And I'm going to say I'm most excited to watch what Seth Halverson brings to the table this year. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good one. That would probably be right up there. It is another one for me because again, there's been so much talk about him. Mm-hmm. He's been on the he's been the guy I was excited to watch last year. The injuries held him back. We know his. We know his potential is good. We've seen him pitch and have success in the SEC. How much more polished is he now, two years into Tennessee? Well, the breakout candidate for Tennessee's pitching staff last year, I would say, is Will Mabry. Yeah. Um, I feel like he fit that bill pretty well. Who is going to be that for Tennessee this year? I'll keep it brief because I just talked about him a lot. But to me, Wyatt Evans, he was That's really impressive in, in the fall. Um, I go back to one of um, the maybe game two of the fall World Series. Uh, he was really really good he got the start in, in that game and, and through four or five innings I should have pulled up the stats because I still have a note somewhere in my laptop in front of me and was really really impressive he was good uh, both against Wake Forest and Memphis uh, I think he's going to be a guy that is uh, a big part of his bullpen and much like Will Mabry you knew who he was going into the year if you're a fan probably or if you're a big fan who follows the team. You knew who he was, but you didn't necessarily think he's going to be one of the stars. I think he's going to be one of the best guys in the bullpen. All right, there you go. And I'll, I'll keep it the same with you just because my guy likes Metallica, so he's definitely <laughs> going to be the breakout for Tennessee's pitching staff. Let's go to the position players. Uh, superlatives, kind of the same thing here. You talked about a lot of guys earlier in the podcast. Who are you most excited to see when you talk about position players here? I'll go really, again, it's kind of like a cop-out answer, but Blake Burke. Not even just from the watching him standpoint, I'm curious to see how he handles being the guy people pitch around. We talked, I, I mentioned that a little bit earlier. Yeah, he was always late in the lineup. He was always yep. late. You just didn't, you didn't, he was so good, but you didn't, if you were an opponent in Tennessee, you didn't have the luxury of pitching around Blake Burke. This year, especially early in the season, as Tennessee's figuring some things out, uh, I think you do uh, have that luxury a, a little bit. But uh, the other guy I'm going to say I'm most excited to see is Jared Dickey, just because. We know he's good. I mean, he's he's so fun. To, I mean, in the age of baseball, that's so much home run or strikeout, a guy that can do what he can do so consistently with such discipline at the plate is so good. And while we've seen him be good last year, I feel like we just got like we just got a little taste of it. Yes. It so, no. Totally. He was injured, which kept him out of the field. And even when he came back, he couldn't really play in the field, so it was only DHing or pinch hitting, and he was just limited for what he could do. And we did not get a full season of it. So I'm really, really excited uh, to see a full year of Jared Dickey. And, you know, more than just the play, not that he's a hothead or anything, but Jared Dickey's a fun guy. He is a fun guy. Like, he is fun to talk to. He is fun on the field. And, you know, Tennessee has that swagger. Yeah. The, the Drew Gilbert, the Jordan Bag, they have that kind of moxie, and I feel like Jared Dickey embodies that as well. He's a little bit more of, like, a goofy moxie, Yeah, too. yeah, he's not He's not going to flip off the outfield or anything yeah. like that, but yes. Yes. I'll go ahead and go plug it. Go read my story on Jared Dickey last year. He's got a, a great story. Right, yeah, you did a feature point. on him, yep. yeah. Lost 75 pounds this freshman season and uh, battled some mental health issues and depression. So, great story, incredibly likable guy, and a heck of a baseball player. Yeah, well, I'll go Griffin Merritt. I'll go one of the newbies. Um, I, I, I think he's uber talented. I think he's going to be Tennessee, uh, one of Tennessee's best hitters. And, you know, people are probably circling Blake Burke and circling Christian Moore, maybe Griffin Maris, that guy that catches people by surprise for Tennessee. And speaking of, side note, you think Jared Dickey leads off? It's a good question. I, I would if it if it. Would I feel be, like that's the most reasonable answer. Yeah. Yeah. There's multiple options there. I think you might see Malayuna there. He's got a little bit more mm. speed, and he is a good contact hitter. But I think that would also be a lot to put on his plate as he adjusts to life in the SEC. To me, I'd go Jared Dickey one, Christian Moore two, and then you get into the hard lineup. And like Merritt Burke. Yeah, or a Huna Burke, Burke, Burke Merritt or something like that. It, to me, in the middle, you have a lot of different good options. You have, I feel like you kind of know the guys in the middle, how they decide to order them up, uh, I think will be interesting. But yeah, I like the way Jared Dickey can get on base. I love him in the leadoff spot. All right, I'm going to keep this podcast under 60, so we got about 12 minutes um, cap left. Let's talk about a guy who could throw a wrench in everything we've talked about. Who is someone that could totally come out of nowhere and be like, wow, didn't see this guy coming, or someone that is just not going to live up to the expectations we've laid out. Well, it's perfect because you mentioned maybe six guys we haven't talked about on the roster. Here's one of them. To me, it's Logan Chambers. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, he is. He's been better. He was a guy people they raved about last year coming into the season. And yeah, didn't he start game one? I think he did start against game one. Georgia Southern. And yeah. He obviously did not have a good year. And to me, I see a lot of Jarrell Ortega in him, just from mm. the fact that maybe not as much in their game, but came in junior college transfer. A lot of expectations, didn't live up to it the first year. Guys jumped in front of him, and 
to me, second year, he's been good in the, in the fall. He's been good in the preseason. And to me, maybe the number one reason I have him here is he's so versatile. He can play second base. He can play third base. He can play corner outfield spot. There's If anyone gets hurt, I think he's going to be a guy at so many spots that we could get an opportunity. And he's a guy that... Uh, I think could throw a wrench into things. We didn't even we we talked about so many guys. We didn't talk about him. And he that's true. Talent. Yeah, and he's a guy that's returning. Um, yeah, you mentioned Jarrell Ortega. Of course, his story was that he just slept at the facilities and would put in countless amounts of time and work. So, you know, if there's a guy that's doing that that we don't see coming, I talked about Will Mabry being the breakout candidate in the um, the breakout player in Tennessee's pitching staff last year. I feel like Jarrell Ortega was that. In, yeah, as far as a position player well, standpoint, probably Trey Lipson, but yeah, yeah. Right. I guess Jarrell Ortega was more surprising, though. Yes. I think maybe from like a fan standpoint, Trey Lipscomb was the guy, but like you talked to people around the program before last year. Ever. They knew Trey Lipscomb was a baller. going to be like, really good. Maybe not like 23 home runs good. Yeah, but, maybe not yeah. like <laughs> SEC player of the year candidate good, but there were not a whole lot of questions that he was going to be a really, really good player. I like that superlative. Who is most likely to be an SEC player of the year candidate for Tennessee? I guess I'll go Blake Burke. Yeah, about like to say. His, his ceilings are so high. I um I remember doing radio last year as soon as Tennessee's baseball season ended, and I said early bold prediction for literally over a year from now, or you know a year from now, yeah. Blake Burke is the SEC Player of the Year. Yeah. But I mean it's a bold prediction because you got Dylan Cruz and you got all those dogs over in Baton Rouge. But I feel like that's the right answer. Yeah, I agree. Um, but Christian Moore and Griffin Merritt, who knows what they can do? Um, they're they're really good too. So moving on with the superlatives here, or actually, let's do more like broad expectations. Let's take a look at the schedule here in our last nine minutes or so. Of course, we've mentioned the LSU series that is the most difficult in Tennessee's schedule. They still got to go to Fayetteville as well later on. That was a change in their schedule. Um, but they get Florida in Knoxville, and they get a couple of big series in Knoxville too. What stands out to you? Yeah, and to me, it's. For one, I think it's a little bit better home conference schedule than it's been in the past. Uh, you have, or at least last year, you know, you had the Desert Invitational the first weekend. They'll face Arizona, who's a really good team, Grand Canyon and, and UC San Diego. Uh, but you also have, you have a mid, midweek game against Boston College, who's obviously not a great program, but an ACC program. Gonzaga comes to Lindsey Nelson Stadium. That was a team that made the NCAA tur- tournament as a, a number two seed last year. And then SEC play. To me, what stands out most, you have a three-week stretch where you go to LSU, or at home to Arkansas. Mm, yeah, that's, that is tough. And it's right in it's right in the heart of the schedule. I guess that's that's series three, four, and five. Really tough schedule. Really tough series. And, and you even look at the play in them. Who's going to be really really good the weekend before LSU? So that stretch yeah. is going to be really challenging. And a lot of primetime games. You got two games on national television against LSU. You got one uh, against Florida, and then you got one again against Arkansas. Those are huge series. There's going to be so many storylines with Tennessee going, Tony Vitello going back to Arkansas. Obviously, we know how much Arkansas and Tennessee fans hate each other, and baseball fans hate each other. LSU, those are considered the two top teams. Certainly, they've had, again, the fan bases have kind of had their beef going back to two years ago in Paul Maynary's last year, um, and then Tennessee-Florida. That's a great rivalry game, and you look at, in any sport, if someone comes out of the woodwork to become a competitor and become a, a great program like Tennessee has in baseball, people are tennis. People fall because of that. Mm-hmm. South Carolina is the number one team you name, and Florida. Not that they fall in anywhere to the, the realm that South Carolina has, but that program has slipped in, in recent years a little bit. And Tennessee's d- absolutely dominated, dominated that series in the last couple of years. What they beat them four times last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they went three and one against them the year before that. You even go back to 2019, Tennessee's kind of first breakout season. Tennessee maybe doesn't even make the NCAA tournament if they don't win t- two out of three in-, in Gainesville. So that's the series Tennessee's controlled in Florida for the longest time has been it's been them and Vanderbilt, one A and, and one B in the SEC East. Tennessee's jumped in that party and Florida's kind of slipped a little bit. Again, a really talented team this year uh, that they have in Gainesville, and they'll come to Knoxville for what should be one of the most fun uh, series at Lindsey Nelson Stadium. Yeah, seventh in the preseason poll for D1 is Florida, so definitely another a lot of high expectations for the Gators entering the season as well. Ryan mentioned Arkansas, they're eighth in the poll, and then, of course, LSU tops the poll at number one. Yeah, I'll go back to last year's schedule, and it's definitely a tougher SEC slate this year, 100%, to me, right? You would agree? I would agree. Because, because Ole Miss was not 
like the Ole Miss team that won it all was nowhere near the team they were in Oxford early in SEC play. Correct. Like they caught them when they were sleeping. Correct. But also that was when we knew Tennessee was breaking out. So I mean that's where it's just so hard to say before a season because at that time they dominated Ole Miss, like, Ole Miss though. Oh, they did, but Ole Miss was like number one in the country. And, and I know, but we all, everyone was talking. In, in, ten, in our media sphere, people knew that was fraudulent. They did, but my point is, at this time last year, Ole Miss was a top-five team, and everyone thought they were going to be really good. It, it, you just Some of this is the expectations are always so high for these top-end SEC teams, you just don't know who will live up to it and who won't. I would agree, on paper, the schedule is harder. You look at who they have in the West, the two big teams they don't have are Alabama and Auburn, who are, I think we're picked fifth and sixth. Uh, in the West, so they played the top four teams, and then Mississippi State, who was picked last. Mississippi State won national championship two years. Right. Won two national championship two years ago, but obviously I'm disappointing last season. But, sorry, I'm rambling over. No, 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 you, I, I you get it. I just think they don't have um, any time. Like, Tennessee doesn't have a lot of time to figure it out because they are thrown – they get one series. But And I tried to – I was trying to make a point of they had more time to figure it out last year, but their second series was all missed, so I guess it stays the same. But, you know, this year they get – Missouri, which is, by the way, on the road in the glorious place of Como. Which is just, I've heard, lovely. <laughs> they, they got the opening SEC series at home last year in nice weather. Um, but then, you, like you, as you said, you get A&M and LSU and Florida, Arkansas, Vandy. It just doesn't let up. Yeah. All yeah. those top ten teams. Yeah, really. I mean, you you look at it, the back the first front half of the schedule is way more, more difficult than the back half. You have Mississippi, you finish Mississippi State at Georgia. Kentucky and in South Carolina, you know, Georgia and Mississippi State. I expect both those teams to be solid, but generally speaking, I'd pick Tennessee to win all of those and, and maybe even sweep two of them. Yeah, and in Kentucky here too. So you know, Tennessee's. I mean that that series against Kentucky was so weird last year because Tennessee was a much better team. Yeah, and you know that it was just their down weekend. So yeah, nasty weather weekend, late April, so unbelievable. Yeah, how many road series did you go on last year? I went to Kentucky for two games. I went to Vanderbilt. I think those were the only two. Yeah, I was about to say, I remember Kentucky being one of the few road series you had gone on, and yeah. it was just absolutely terrible yeah, <laughs> weather. And Yeah, I got I drove through like a hellstorm. <laughs> yeah. It was a Thursday through Saturday series. I couldn't go on Thursday because of something school-related. Maybe I had Friday morning or Thursday afternoon. But terrible weather Friday. I only to get there for a long weather delay and not to play, finish the game, and then – yeah, it was Kentucky Derby weekend, and it was just miserable. 40s, 50s, and rainy all weekend in Kentucky. All right, let's do 30 seconds of a bold prediction for Tennessee season as a whole and just you know general expectations as well. Your expectations and then a bold prediction, 30 seconds each. Okay, uh, expectations. You know, I, I wouldn't necessarily think the expectation for, should be for his team to win the SEC because I think there's going to be a, a growing stage and there's going to be growing pains for this team as you replace that many players. But I think the expectation is to get back to Omaha. I mean, all offseason, that's all these guys coming back have been thinking about. They did, they watched Notre Dame celebrate on their own field, and they were not robbed, but they had a chance to get to, to compete for a national championship taken away. I think they get back there uh, and make it to Omaha. Bold prediction. Um, I'll, I mean, it's, not, it's so hard to have positive bold predictions about this team because so many of the predictions – that you would say are bold aren't, aren't that bold. Um, yeah, because you say Tennessee is, wins the College World Series. It's like, okay, they're yeah, they're second in the poll. Yeah, yeah exa- exactly. <laughs> is that bold? <laughs> or Tennessee has two first-team All-SEC pitchers. Well, they, they have yeah. two first-team All-SEC pitchers <laughs> exactly. in, in the preseason. Um, I'll go, you know what, bold prediction, I'll say Tennessee has the SEC pitcher and the SEC player of the year. Okay, yeah, I like that. Yeah. Uh, Dolander and Burke? Back-to-back is, dude, Dolander's so good. We didn't talk about the starting rotation because there's no question marks. But, like, man, Chase Dolander. Chase Burns. Chase Burns. Drew Beam. Like, I don't – yeah. It's just – it's pretty – it's always stupid. There's not a team with four better pitchers in the country than what Tennessee has with those three guys in Canton Sewell. And there might not be anyone that's close. Like crazy. Well, Tennessee opens their season next weekend against Arizona down there in the MLB Desert Invitational. Night one will be in Scottsdale, I believe, night two in Phoenix, and then night three in Mesa, Arizona. So they're hitting the triangle there and southeast Arizona, so it'll be fun. All those games on MLB Network, I believe? Um, I know for fact two are. The third one may not be. Hold on, I'll check for you guys real quick. The San Diego game on uh, Sunday afternoon. Yeah. yeah you can stream it. So the, not on MLB Network. So the first two MLB Net 
last one not. Okay. Yeah, Arizona, Grand Canyon, UC, San Diego is the order there. I was right. Scottsdale is night one. Phoenix is night two. Tennessee going to get it rolling next weekend. Um, I think it's only the second time maybe in the past five years that Tennessee's opening the season away from LNS. Yeah. Because they, they went to Georgia Southern two Georgia years Southern ago. Two but years I think ago. outside of that, it's been a minute. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's those are only, at least since Vitello's been here, those are two times. Well, you're six? You're six. You're six. All right. Jordan year. Or uh, LeBron year. LeBron year. Miami LeBron year. And now LA LeBron year. Record yeah, breaking. Right. Record breaking LeBron year. Yeah. Shit. All time scoring leader. Since LeBron won the majority of his championships in number six and set the scoring record in number six, should he be more known as a number six? Think about it. He did everything great in his career with number six. Well, I would say his greatest achievement was winning the NBA Finals with the Cavs, and he did that in 23. Yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah. But, you know, when he was dominant yeah, in, like, I the mean, big his, moment. His peak was Miami, and you're right. He was he was six. Yeah, and did he win with the the bubble year? Did he win in 23? I think he did. But the bubble doesn't really count. Yeah, Mickey Mouse. Exactly. Let's end it on that. All right. Mickey Mouse title. That'll be it for this special edition of the Rocket Top Insider Press Pass, doing a comprehensive baseball preview for the 2023 season. For Ryan Shepard, I'm Jack Foster. Thanks for tuning in today, and we will be back next week with everything Tennessee football, basketball, and baseball now on Rocket Top.